Welcome to the 157th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. When the silica sand mine industry comes knocking on doors in your community, you better get informed as soon as possible. That's the way Pat Popple sees it, anyway. Popple is a retired teacher and school principal who is one of several activists working to prevent their community's landscape from being devastated by open-pit sand mines. Popple lives in western Wisconsin's Chippewa County, which is at the heart of a major boom in sand mining. Companies that use bulldozers, explosives, and excavators to tear into hillsides have swarmed into the area in recent years. The fine silica sand they are extracting from the land is being shipped to North Dakota, Texas, and other states, where it is used in a process called hydrofracturing, also called fracking, to force oil and gas out of shale deposits. In just a few short years, Wisconsin has become the number one source of this so-called frac sand. As of early 2014, there were 125 permitted or operational frac sand mines, processing plants, and rail loading facilities in Wisconsin, according to the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Reporting. By 2014, the state was producing 26 million tons of frac sand annually, more than double what it was in 2012. The problem is that the mining, processing, and transporting of all that frac sand has caused major disruptions on the land and in the communities of western Wisconsin. It scars the landscape, ruins farmland, poses a threat to air and water quality, and places a major burden on the transportation infrastructure in rural communities. When the first frac sand mining company representatives came knocking on doors in Chippewa County, People were taken by surprise. Most had never heard of the industry or its problems, and within a few short years, there were roughly a dozen mines operating in the county. They range in size from a few dozen acres to over a thousand acres. In addition, Popple lives just two miles from a major frac sand processing and railroad transportation facility owned and operated by EOG Resources Incorporated one of the largest independent crude oil and natural gas firms in the country. Just a few days before she was to fly to Denver to testify before the Environmental Protection Agency, Popple took me on a tour of frac sand facilities in Chippewa County, and it was a real eye-opener. I wasn't prepared for just how much of an impact this industry is having on the farmland, natural areas, and roads in the region. Entire hills have been scraped down to the sand or removed entirely, and trucks and trains hauling silica are constantly moving through the county, spilling sand on roads and rail beds in the process, while creating many traffic jams. After our tour, Popple talked to me about the importance of becoming informed as quickly as possible about industries like frac sand mining when they threaten to take over a community. She also discussed the importance of organizing and teaming up with groups of citizens from across the country who are fighting the extreme energy extraction industry. We had not heard of such a thing before. Of course, sand and gravel pits are really common in Chippewa County, so that was something maybe one could relate to. But frac sand mining, it was it was not even talked about as frac sand mining. It was talked about as mining sand. Sand to sand to sand, you know, and it's going to create jobs and the economy uh, is going to improve. I guess I immediately realized that this was more than just mining or taking of sand because they were talking about heavy industry and heavy industry means a lot more to me than light industry or just plain sand or gravel. So the red flag went up for me and I guess I am one of those kinds of people who kind of looks to the future and could imagine, you know, trains and trucks and all the other things that weren't so nice 
not only in our county, but elsewhere. I guess I was alerted to that. The other piece was that they kept talking about strip mining and quarrying. And having been a teacher with fifth graders, we talked a lot about quarrying and strip mining, and particularly in relationship to coal mining. That turned the light bulb on for me and made me concerned about the future of this business operation in Wisconsin or in in Chippewa County, but then more so even uh, in the area, northwest Wisconsin. Frac sand mining is a very complicated thing. It's uh, sort of an operation that has to be unwound in terms of learning more about every aspect of it. I think that was the most difficult thing at the beginning was trying to figure out just what the impacts would be. And it was it was unwinding on all the complications that we just couldn't could hardly keep up with. I like to think about these right now as being scabs on the earth. At first, when the original aerial pictures were taken, for example, they were small operations, and they've all of a sudden become huge with many more new ideas um, that may not be helpful, really, on the part of the companies, uh, many new sort of what you might call innovations that will impact us because they're learning. We are learning every day about something new, but I'm certain that the industry itself is also trying to find new applications to make it easier for them or more profitable uh, for their businesses. And yes, this is very much like a spider web and trying to figure out and weave yourself around that is just is difficult. It takes very intensive labor, really, to study about all of the pieces and parts to this whole industrial revolution. Part of the complication is just figuring out who owns what and companies trying to present themselves as local when they really aren't. It, it, was, it seems like there was a lot of just misdirection going on there. You know, we know that some of the same mining people who have been here are elsewhere. Um, if I think if we knew that all there is to know about how this has been woven together, we would be quite surprised. The stories sometimes that are coming out of other locations have are story, same stories. Um, I think they have perhaps uh, a mining thick mining booklet that tells them how to do it. None of us were experts here uh, when this first started. We we really were very naive, including county boards, uh, city councils, town board people. No one really knew. They didn't want to admit that they didn't know, and they didn't ask questions, but they really didn't figure it out. It was sort of like from day to day. As you look at the grand picture, however, it's very convoluted and very complicated and if you if you put it all together and look at the devastation that will occur as a result of all of this, I think it's pretty immense, especially when it affects as, as many counties as it's already affecting, and who knows how many more it might affect. People who, for example, are in southeast Minnesota or northeastern Iowa, where this is a newer thing, and, and other parts of the Midwest as well, I mean, do you have any advice on when they first hear start to hear rumblings of an industry like frac sand mining moving into their community. Any advice on what some of their first steps should be? You know, how to kind of prevent just the complete takeover of a community before you know what's going on? Yes, I, I think it's I think it's very important that, uh, first of all, we educate people so that they can, in their communities or their towns or counties or whatever, begin to organize and get together and find out what they actually uh, have going for them. Do they have any ordinances for frac sand mining or processing 
or transload. Do they have anything that's going to protect the people? I I like to um, think that there would be some counties in uh, southwest Wisconsin that are in the Driftless area that should be very concerned and that that should start organizing. Moratoriums are not unheard of. I mean, I, I think it would be worthwhile for people to get ordinances in place. I know that there are some discussions about community rights activities and perhaps bans may be in order if they can achieve them. On the other hand, there are some but have been some very talented writers of uh, ordinances uh, that have been quite restrict put in quite restrictive uh, pieces in their ordinances, which I think can help deter uh, frac sand mining mining companies from wanting to come into their area. And I I think this would be an excellent way to be proactive and um, to to act uh, on their own behalf to get things in place before actually somebody comes knocking at their door. And knocking at the door is not uncommon, you know, where people all of a sudden are confronted with the issues. They don't know anything about it. And then it's almost too late because maybe mineral rights or something, maybe lands have been purchased or leased. And it may be, it may be too late. Uh, So the best thing is to get something going like right now or yesterday, (laughs) because, um, Obviously, there's a huge interest in this state for mining and um, and also for all the other activity that goes with it. I think there are probably many people, even in the southern part of Wisconsin, southwest Wisconsin, already impacted by the large number of trains going through, rail cars, by trucks maybe. And I know there are natural gas lines that are running in various places, and there are more and more pipelines to deliver the crude oil, or it could even be some of the spent fluid from hydraulic fracturing. This is a widespread industry, and obviously we don't have control over any or all. So whatever can be done to help us become more self-sustaining and or at least having uh, ordinances that can protect us is absolutely imperative. The good point you had made earlier was trying to connect with the larger community that's fighting hydrofracking and all kind of these this this whole thing that kind of falls under the category of extreme energy extraction that that can really expand our power it sounds like yes and power is truly needed the large corporations have are coming in and taking over what we thought uh, maybe we had some controls over and the basic needs actually of food and, and air and water i mean we absolutely cannot live without them And yet there are others who would say, you know, we're not going to destroy your water. We're not going to destroy your air. But we absolutely know that that's not true. We really need to network. We we need to network with as many people as possible. People who are in the environmental fields, people who are in the farming fields, in the hunters and fishermen, all the industries who are impacted by this industry, and with people in New York, Pennsylvania, uh, North Dakota, who are, are having their virtually their lives torn apart and their families dying, their animals dying. We need to all come together and figure out what's going to happen because this is not we're not on this planet alone. We are we are all connected to each other and if we don't start making the connections through networking right now, who knows what the future will hold. I live about two miles away from the um, processing plant here in Chippewa Falls. And I guess I you know, I've still worked on this 
on this project very intensively. I've devoted every day of my life for the last six years or almost six years to working on this in some way or the other. I never thought I might be directly impacted, except that I find sand on my car pretty regularly, uh, and it's the gritty, gritty stuff and the sticky stuff, so I know where it's coming from. But I think the eeriest part of all of this is the railroad. Um, I was I was born on the south side of town and lived maybe uh, a block away from the railroad. And rail cars would go through once in a while, and I remember the old engines that gave off big puffs of black smoke. But I never and I've and I've lived with the railroad nearby me for all of the years that I've lived here because I was born and raised and lived on the south side all of my life. But I think the the eeriest thing for me to for me right now is to wake up at all hours of the night. It doesn't really matter when. I go to bed late, but sometimes the engines or the cars are rolling through here at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, and I wake up to the whistles as they go by. And it's always that eerie feeling that our hills and our ridges and our bluffs are being carried right out of Wisconsin for use in other places for the oil and gas industry, for fossil fuels. That really has an impact on me personally. There may be others who can live with the sounds of the engines and all of that kind of thing, but I think I've internalized this uh, so greatly, and it's a very powerful, negative feeling that I have about what we're doing to the planet. But is this, given the abilities of the people here in the United States and elsewhere, is this really what we want for a quality of living? I think not. And I think that we should be plowing our energies into providing funding for education for people to resolve the issues so that we can live self-sustaining lives rather than continually thinking that fossil fuels are our, are our future. They are not. I mean, all fossil fuels have a limited life. And I think that we really need to plow our energies are really truly human energies and brain power into looking at a new life through self-sustaining energy. What gives you hope? Yeah, I think that networking with people and and working with a lot of people does give me hope. I think there are some people in this country who do understand and who do realize what's happening here. And there's empathy for the people in Wisconsin for some of the tragedies that we're seeing as a result of this industry. When I've connected with Boston, Massachusetts, or with people from uh, Portland, Oregon, or with people from Louisiana, or Arkansas, or Pennsylvania, where my grandfather was born, you know, on my mother's side. I mean, there are lots of people being impacted. There are people who are being harmed. But there are, on the other side, people who are helping. There are people who care. And I think our greatest hope is in the education of people so that there will be more caring people who will leave their television sets, who will leave behind all the football and all the sporting activities and events to come out to the town board meetings, the county board meetings, the city council meetings and get involved, to speak out, to not be fearful. We have a democracy that should work. But it's only going to work if people get involved. And that's my hope, that we will get people more involved and more active and find that they have capabilities and skills that they can use to make a difference.
For more information on how the Land Stewardship Project is helping organize communities threatened by the frac sand mining industry, see the frac sand organizing page at www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Morgandale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.